Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. I am Simon. I'm Lee. Uh, we hope everyone is having a wonderful week, keeping safe, uh, enjoying this unusually warm weather for the end of October, um, and is looking forward to uh, Halloween weekend. Uh, I hope you guys have got some cool plans. Um, there's a couple of really cool movies out this week. You guys can go and see Last Night in Soho or Antlers, both of which are out this week. Also, highly recommend, as it's now just dropped on Disney+, Plus, that you all check out The Night House. Uh, awesome film that came out earlier in the year, now on home streaming. Um, and it is one of the year's best movies. But what, <clears throat> whatever you guys get up to this Halloween weekend, we hope that you have fun. We hope that you stay safe and, you know, watch out for razor blades in your candied apples. Because yes. that shit is nasty, dog. Hmm. Um, so... Today, it is a 5x5 five five episode. We're running out of these. After this, we've only got four left for the year. Well, three, because that one there, the last one, is going to be like a roundup episode. It's yeah. not going to be a thing. Um, so on this week's episode, or this episode of 5x5, five five, we are going to be talking about our favourite final girls. Do you know what? We could have just done Final People and then I would have just been like, Ash Williams, Ash Williams, Ash Williams. <laughs> um, but yeah, we decided to have a look at our favourite Final Girls this week. So with this, did you set, like, I don't know how you constructed your list. How, like, did you set your list as a parameter of someone who is a Final Girl that has survived at least a movie or all of the movies in the franchise that they're in? Is that how you set your list? At least a movie? Uh, is that why? Because like I said to you, didn't I, about like including Helen from Candyman? Oh you, no, yeah, no, no. And you fuck were like, what I just said. You were like, you were like, you were like, we can't because she does a die. Yeah, fuck what I just said to you, babe. Um, but like, this is kind you of survive the majority of the film. Yeah, like this is kind of like my trouble with this list was like to me a final girl is someone that. Like, if they've been in multiple films, they have survived every appearance of those films that they're in. Because, like, everybody talks about Alice from Friday the 13th. Because she gets... She survives the first one, but then she gets killed at the beginning of the second one. I was like, so technically, is she a final girl? Because she survived a movie, but then she died in the very next movie. Mm. Which kind of suggests that she didn't survive the franchise, but she survived the movie. So it's very hard to kind of get I the semantics. I think everyone has a different version of what a final girl is. Because now, I like, when I said that to you, I then realised there's two people on my list that would not. Yeah, and that's Tem- kind of like like I assume I like I would say if they've been in one movie and they survived it counts. I think if we get into franchise territory, you have to kind of look at it differently because it's like do you then take into consideration all of their appearances in the franchise? Uh, what I'm saying, Final Girl, is that they are not killed by the killer in the movie. Okay, I like multiple timelines as well like halloween if you were to talk about laurie strode for example like which laurie strode are we talking about are we talking halloween one and two halloween one two and h2o so yeah that's kind of what the way i looked at it was like that all the people on my list kind of had to have at least survived if they're franchise players everything that they were in okay yeah no Um, my list was they have to not be killed by the killer oh yeah you fucking... That's so trash. That's such a trash... Yeah, but babe, otherwise, I've not watched enough movies with Final Girls that I actually like for me to actually make a list of Final Girls. I'm just telling you now, my list is just Julie James from I Know We Did Last Summer five times. Okay, fair. Um, right, so are you going to kick kick this one off? 
you want to explain to the people at home how this works if they've never listened to one of these episodes? And then do you want to do do your your bit? I love how you've saved yourself from me going, and this is how Simon's going to do it. Yeah. I hate you. So basically what we will do is we will do our three other inventions. We will then give our number five. Or I will give my number five. Simon will then do his three honourable mentions and then his number five and then we will go back and forth until we both hit number one. Cool. Solid. Right, yes. now my honourable mentions. Number three on my honourable mentions is Kate from Valentine. Alright. Vague one. It's a vague final girl. Mostly because I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I think we discussed it. We have discussed it. In fact, we've done an episode on it. This movie is shit. Yeah. But I love this film. See, this is another interesting question as well. Mm. Because right up until the very end, Dorothy is a final girl. Spoiler alert for Valentine. And then they frame her as the killer. Mm-hmm. So technically, would she have counted... No, because she gets killed by the killer. Yeah, but this is like... But she gets framed as the killer. Yeah, but she also gets killed by the killer. Yeah. Hmm... Knowing what you know at the end of the movie and knowing who the killer is, would she have been considered a final girl if she hadn't been framed as the killer? No, because he shoots her. Yeah, but what I'm saying is if she hadn't been killed and framed as the killer... Oh yeah, then she'd have yeah, been a final girl because yeah. she would have survived. She yeah. wouldn't, Or if she'd have just accidentally died at the very last hurdle, like she fell down the stairs, <laughs> she'd have still counted because the killer didn't kill her. Her own stupidity did. Yes. Um, But so... If if uh, if Dorothy had survived, it would have been Dorothy because I fucking love her. But she's I so love funny. Kate. I think she's she's just fucking useless. Yeah, I was gonna say she's a bit wet, isn't she? She's a she's so wet and she's so <coughs> fucking useless. And she survives on the sheer side that the fucking killer is in love with her. That is the sole reason she survives this fucking film. Like in fairness, though, talking about talking about Valentine, this is one of those rare movies where. Pretty much all of the victims in the friend group are female. Yes. Like, there are male... There there are two male victims. Two, two, three male victims? Two. Uh, The boyfriend of the police officer. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy Gary gets killed. Three, then. So the boyfriend, the police officer, and Creepy Gary. Well, not... Yeah, the the boyfriend. Um, And Creepy Gary. But, like, this is one of those incidences where, like, every single woman in this movie... And I think we discussed this when we did the episode. This is a really poorly written set of characters because every girl in this movie has a certain degree of agency when it comes to like the way they live their lives, their independence and everything else. But when it comes to surviving a killer, none of them... They like, all make very dumb yeah, choices. None, not a single one of them puts up much of a fight. No. None of them seems to know Apart how to react in the situation. From... The only one who kind of vaguely puts up a fight is oh fuck, what do you call the dark head girl who dies in the hot tub? Oh, uh, Paige. Paige. Yeah. Because I think the only reason her. Paige does actually die is because she gets trapped in the hot tub. The hot tub. And he chucks the because I think drill otherwise, in. yeah, otherwise yeah. he she would have put up quite a fight. Yeah. She's still fighting to get out of the hot tub, even though she knows she's gonna die. None of the other girls do though. They can fuck all of a fight. <laughs> yeah, because one of the girls gets killed with the arrows, so she actually. She doesn't get a chance to put up a fight because she gets killed from a distance. Yeah. Um, then the other, like Dorothy, basically gets pushed down the stairs, and then I'm pretty sure there's another one. The maid. It? No, there's because there's four of them in the friend group. So there's there's Paige, Kate, Dorothy, and, and the one was, who gets shot in the with the arrows. Yeah, so there's four of them, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So three of them get killed. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then the maid gets iced off screen because she gets put through the shower. Uh, Campbell gets bumped off with the fucking thing in the... He gets hit with like a pipe or something, doesn't he? And then the copper gets decapitated and Gary gets battered with the iron. So, yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, this is one of those... Oh, and Catherine Heigl's character Oh, the yeah, Catherine Heigl's She character. gets her throat slit. I completely forgot Catherine Heigl's yeah, in this because she's in it for, like, two seconds. She's not in it for very long, yeah. But, yeah, nobody no, nobody really in this movie puts up much of a fight. To be fair, Catherine Heigl gives it a fair... She doesn't fight, but she gives it a fair... She tries to run away. Chuck it, give it away, yeah. doesn't get away, doesn't she? I mean... I, I say this all the time. The Valentine movies could have easily been a franchise. That Cupid killer is efficient as fuck. Do you know one thing about Valentine that always gets me, though, is if a magazine had not ruined the fact that David Boreanaz was in this movie, I feel like it could have been a far more interesting film. Yeah. Because up until the very end, you don't know who the killer is. No. Like, there's not many... Like, well, you do, but you don't know which character he mm-hmm. actually is. Because there's hints dropped. It could be numerous different people. But because a magazine basically run an article saying David Boreanaz cast as killer in new slasher mm. movie, everybody knew who the killer was. But if you want to hear our more nuanced thoughts on Valentine, yeah. go back and listen to it. We did a whole episode for this movie's 20th anniversary. So you like go, go listen to how trash bag banana balls this movie is. Yeah. Okay. Number two on my honourable mentions is Alison from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. I've never seen You've this never movie. never seen it. So... so it's a bit of a weird one to say she's the final girl in a way because it's a lot of accidental murders. You've okay. not seen it, so I don't want to say too much. But I've seen, anyone... like, stuff. Yeah, it, so, so, like, obviously, Tucker and Dale are the not really two main characters. Anything. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, they are two small-town... Hicks, who were on holiday in a cabin in a wood in the woods, they get interrupted by a bunch of teenagers, and through a series of accidents, it looks like they're like hillbilly killers. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous, but Alison is the one teenager who survives, but survives both the accidental deaths with Tucker and Dale, and then also the death by the real killer, because mm-hmm. there's another killer in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a great film and I quite like Alison because she's like the one character who kind of gives Tucker and Dale a chance of they're like we're not doing any of this <laughs> and she's like that seems feasible you've been nice to me um, but yeah so Alison I won't go too much into it like we just did with Valentine because those will be here forever uh, my number one is one of the ones where I, oh, is why I've said that they don't get killed by the killers Dana from Cabin in the Woods yeah, I mean, technically, yeah, I guess, because everybody dies. Everybody so. dies, but she kills herself, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she well, she doesn't even really... She does die, but only because they fail to complete... It's caused by yeah, her like, not dying. Everybody causes in the world her death. dies. Yeah. Like, it's Armageddon. Um, and I love that fucking film <coughs> deep in my heart. Mm. Like, it is one of my favourite films of all time. And I love Dana's character. I think it's one of the smartest ways to end a movie and also for her to have full agency as a woman in a film of she decides that she's happy to die and take the rest of the planet with her. Yeah. I just love that. She's like, I ain't killing myself. You can't kill me. I'd rather the planet end. Fuck you, bitch. Fair. Also has Sigourney Weaver in it. Yes. And number five, Lila Crane from Psycho. Uh, yeah, and see, I saw her on a bunch of lists, and I was like, I don't really, like, I didn't really consider it because I was like, at no point really in the movie is she a target of the killer, because 
she she interacts with Norman, but he's literally hunting her at the end of the film, babe. He tries yeah, to kill her. Like, I never like when I think of Psycho, I think about like I think about Marion Crane, I think about Abagast, I think about Loomis. Like I think about all the people that like get killed by him. I think to what like I think because you only see that scene at the end where he's like running towards her, and then he gets apprehended. Um, I never really think about it as like because of the. I guess because Marion Crane is what would be the quintessential final girl. I never really think of Lila in the context of that. I always think of her just being as a bit... I don't want to say a superfluous character, but she's there to kind of drive the narrative along because she's looking for her sister. So that's kind of why I never really considered it. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm counting her as a final girl because she is... She becomes a target of Norman in the film and she survives. So therefore, she has survived a killer and is therefore a final girl. Fair enough. Putting my foot down... But that's my number five. I quite like Lila. From the original version, not the shit Julianne Moore Yeah, version. no, not the Julianne Moore version. The original Lila Crane. Okay. Right? Cool. Uh, so my honourable mentions, my number five is Mia Allen. Number three. My number three, sorry, is Mia Allen from The Evil Dead uh, 4. Mm-hmm. I refuse to call it an Evil Dead remake. Fede Alvarez told me on Twitter that it's not a remake. It's a fucking continuation, so fuck you. Um, but yeah, so she starts off the movie as like a hopeless heroin junkie who gets taken to the cabin because she's junk sick and they want to get her off of drugs. And then by the end of the movie, she's got a fucking chainsaw and she's taken on the essence of all evil and she gets a hand ripped off and it's fucking amazing. She's essentially the ash. Yeah. So after, after everybody else gets killed and they, cause in this one, they summon like the essence of all evil and she's fighting this fucking thing and it's literally raining blood and she gets a car tipped on her hand she pulls her hand off she fucking jams a chainsaw in this thing's head and she just survives and it's awesome because through the whole movie she goes on this arc of being like this fucking junkie that no one believes to slowly going crazy to getting turned into a deadite to like losing all of her friends to then rising to the occasion and like basically putting a stop to this fucking all evil yeah and it's awesome and it's jane levy and i mean who doesn't fucking love jane levy sure jane levy is great suburgatory amazing fucking she's great and don't breathe she's got a new show uh a something playlist zoe's playlist or something that's on tv yeah she's great i love her uh my number two i think might be on your main list but we will see uh kirsty cotton from the hellraiser franchise no excuse me so she's in Hellraiser 1, 2, and, like, 7, I think. Um, yeah, Kirstie's great. Like, we talked about her in depth in our Hellraiser episode last week, week before, two weeks ago. If you want to go and check out more of our thoughts on Kirstie, go listen to that episode. But basically, she she didn't make it on the main list, but I felt like she did enough in those movies to kind of justify her place on an honourable mentions list. Because, as we said... She's quite strong. She's quite independent. She tells Lever Daddy to get fucked, and she's quite she's quite smart. And she kind of like just pieces out. Like she she's one of the few final girls that kind of gets like a decent resolution. Mm. Like after Hellraiser two, she kind of isn't in the rest of the franchise after that. But like obviously her dad gets murdered and her stepmom and all that shit. But she kind of goes to like a weird place. She goes and sees the Leviathan and she's in hell and stuff. But 
other than that, when they bring her back into like the director video sequel, she kind of like is living like a normal existence. She doesn't go through like mass amounts of trauma over like ten films like a lot of Final Girls do, and I feel like she's one of those ones that's kind of forgotten. But she's Ashley Lawrence who plays her is great, and in the comics she becomes the Hell Priestess, mm. which is fucking dope. Um, so yeah, Kirsty Cotton's my second. My number one honourable mention, and I could already see this is going to piss so many fucking people mm-hmm. off. I don't even care. Laurie Strode. Didn't even make it to the main list. This is purely because of the timeline stuff that I said. So, Laurie Strode, as played by the amazing Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously one of the most iconic horror heroines of all time, without a doubt. But you have to. I had to base it on the fact that she's played this part five times now. And every iteration of the character is different. Mm-hmm. So you look at like Halloween 1 and 2, then you look at H2O, then you look at Halloween 2018, and then Halloween ends. Actually, she's played it six times because of Resurrection as well. So in the first two movies, she survived. Mm-hmm. Then H2O, then she dies in Resurrection. Now she's back. She This character has existed through three different timelines. However... Every time Jamie Lee Curtis plays the character, she plays the character differently. Mm -hmm. So you don't get a handle on who the character really is, Mm -hmm. which is kind of why I didn't put her on my main list. Because even though she's an iconic character and everybody loves her, I don't really feel like they've been fair to the character. I feel like they've cheated because they've gone, oh, well, we'll just reboot everything and bring her back. So you don't really get an idea of the fact that she's a consistent character throughout all of these films. Yeah. Um, with that said, my favourite iteration of Laurie Strode is the new version that we've got in the Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. I love cranky, old, wine-drunk, survivalist, QAnon fucking Laurie Strode. It's my absolute favourite. Um, my number five, I feel like my number five might be your number one. I feel like we're, we're definitely going to have these characters on opposite ends of our list. Mm-hmm. Um, my number five, Grace LaDumbass. Kick it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. It's Grace Ladomas from Ready or Not. Yeah, okay. My number four, and I want to see how you feel about this, is from the movie specifically, I'm not counting everything out specifically from the film, Buffy Summers. I mean, she counts. She, she didn't counts. make She didn't make it on my list, but she counts. She counts, right? I'm not... I was, I was thinking about it, I was like, she definitely counts. And I mean, even counting her TV counterpart, she fucking counts. Hmm. Um, so Buffy is, I think everybody knows Buffy Summers from either from the TV show or from the original film, which... Or the comic books, or, or the graphic the novels, books. or the role-playing games, or the video games, or the yeah. sex dreams. Or <laughs> the sex dreams, that's fair. Um, so I've been obsessed with Buffy since I was like maybe eight or nine years old. I started watching it when I was quite young, and I saw the film for the first time when I was 13. Mate, the film is great. I fucking love the movie. I love the Buffy we get in the film as well. As much as I love Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy, I love the film version. I can't remember who plays her. Kirsty Swanson. Kirsty Swanson. Christy Swanson. Because she's just that little bit more dumb yeah. than actual Buffy. And obviously, because this is really before the show ever takes place, this is kind of the story of how she ended up in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. Do you know... Because you know, they referenced the film in the TV show. Yeah. Bizarrely enough, though, there's only a five-year difference. The film came out in 92. The, the show came out in 97. I thought there was a longer period of time between no, the film and the TV really series. Sure. Yeah, the film came out the year I was born. Mm. Um, but I remember being a young girl and having 
Buffy Summers to look up to, of like this badass chick who fights all of the evil on the planet to keep it safe. And her her film counterpart, Kirstie Swanson's Christy Swanson's portrayal of her, is I'm not American, so I never really had like the Valley Girl experience. But she's such a like quintessential dumb Valley Girl that gets this extraordinary power and mm. I love her so much and she as I say she technically dies in the film but that's the TV show isn't it I always because there's this there's a similar scene in the movie and yeah. the TV show at the end of season one well she has when a, she faces off against the master yeah in the movie she has a bunch of dreams that she's dying and the, um, the movie opens with her dreaming that she's like a maiden in the 18th century yeah because it's the dreams that pre um, yeah a prerequisite to her becoming the Slayer. But in the TV series, she dies at the end of season one. She mm-hmm. dies in the last episode. She drowns and Xander yeah. resuscitates her. And then she dies at the end of season five. Season five. She drops into the hell mouth. And then she comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's it. I think she only dies twice in the show. So yeah. Yeah. Because it's a lyric and wants more with feeding. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> and then there's the robot version of her which gets killed like uh, in Buffy season Bot. six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. But no, um, I had to put her on my list just because of A, the time I grew up in and B, the fact that she is such a prevalent character. And also I think she doesn't get counted as a final girl very often, which I think is really demeaning because she is a final girl. <laughs> she survives everything that gets through. I mean, I know she dies twice technically, but she's still alive at the end of it all. Yeah. And she's still alive now in the comic books, isn't she? Um, yeah, I don't really know what's going on with the comic books, to be honest. But I know she may be a vampire now, or is Dawn? A... No, Dawn's like a fucking unicorn or some shit. Isn't yeah, she? I mean, Xander got turned into a centaur. They were living in a castle at one point. I've yeah, it was all fucking. We all got very, very confused. Very, very and there's also talk of bringing it back. It keeps getting popped up every now and then of bringing it back with a new Slayer. Which, not gonna lie, I'd watch the shit out of it. See, I feel like they should have ran with one of the umpteen spin offs that they were doing at the time. Because they were gonna do a Spike TV show, then they were gonna do a Faith TV show, and the then they Ripper. were gonna do a Giles TV show. And then there was Frey, the comic book that uh, they brought out a couple of years after Buffy finished, or was like near finishing, which was about Slayers in the future, and it was like a futuristic one. Um, I mean, I would watch a Faith show. I mean, I. I'm one of those people that actually really likes Kendra. I, think I Ke- love Kendra with Mr. Pointy. She's so fucking funny. And that episode, like the scene in Becoming, I think it's Becoming Part 2, where Buffy's running through the school in slow motion, just as uh, th- I think it's Drusilla kills her in the library, mm-hmm. and Buffy gets there just too late, um, is that whole fucking two-part episode is my favorite, is genuinely my favourite episode of TV of all time. I love that. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like, I love the film version of Buffy. Um, I I love the film. I can't believe it's thirty years old next year. Um, but yeah, I would agree. I I mean, if I'd thought about it a bit more, I would have probably put just the whole character in general on my list. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, hello, Buffy Summers. Pikes a fish, not a name. <laughs> okay, so my number four mm. is Teresa Gelbman. Kick it. AKA the, the the tree. The from... tree. Kick it. Okay. <laughs> uh, number three on my list. Sarah from The Craft. Which one's Sarah? Sarah is, I can't think who plays her, the brunette, who the main character. 
Okay, is it the one? It's not the one that is it on the Robin Tunney you played? Yes. Okay, there we go. Yeah, because I was thinking Rachel True is. I can't think what the other girls' names are in it. Yeah, because there's Rachel True's character, Nancy, who's played by Fraser Bulk, uh, Neve Campbell's character. So yeah, it's the one that Robin Tunney plays. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine then. <laughs> well, the other two aren't really final girls. Um, Rachel True's character and. Um, Neve Campbell's. Campbell's character are not final girls because mm. they're technically villains. <laughs> um, so Sarah, mostly she's on my list because of the arc her character takes. Like she does start as quite a drippy character, and she's a bit useless and really just gets swept up into everything. And by the end of the film, she's really found her footing and become a lot more confident in herself. Mm-hmm. And I like that. It's one of my favourite things of this movie as well. Yes, it's a fun movie about witches and the Rosa Bolts in it, who I love. Um, I love Sarah's character arc. You get taken on through the film to see her becoming from like a follower to a leader. Mm-hmm. And um, I think she deserves a, a place in the final girl mythos, to be honest. Because these are characters. So like characters like Sarah don't tend to get mentioned whenever people people speak of final girls. It's the it's the, it's the general final girls you get to talk about. It's Laurie and Nancy and all of the ones who survive slasher movies. And people just overlook some of their final girls from non-slasher films. Because Kraft is not a slasher. And I know technically slashers are like the main requisite. Mm-hmm. Or one of the requisites for final girls. But I'm saying, fuck it. I ain't sticking with that. <laughs> and we watched the Kraft. You quite liked it. Yeah, it was alright. Where do you stand on Sarah as a final girl? Um, I think she's alright. Um, I never really considered it, to be honest. I mean, I enjoyed that movie. I think... (sighs) The thing is, I feel like... She's one of those characters that I'm a little bit 50-50 on. But I think I'm like 50-50 on all of the characters in in that movie, to be fair. Fair. Because I feel like they're all victims of themselves, rather than like victimised by each other. I mean, I wouldn't say that for Sarah's character. Mm. Because Sarah is very much the victim of the... Not so much the other two girls, but definitely Nancy. Yeah, yeah. Um, She becomes the sole (coughs) target towards the end of the film of everything. And they do try and kill her. Mm. Quite aggressively as well. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so there we go. Sarah from The Craft. My number three is Velma from Scooby Doo. I'm joking. I wish it, it was. I wish it was. Look at her. Look how adorable she is. She is cute. People can't see. I'm talking about her like you can see it, but I have a little Velma from Scooby Doo pop on my shelf, and she's like, looks really cute. She looks like Lee, especially you now know, you've got them big ass glasses. It's on. to memorialise that time that I looked like Velma, isn't yeah. it? That's what it's actually for. Uh, my number three is Nancy Thompson slash Heather Langenkamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason what like it will make sense why I put both on the list in, in a minute because obviously Nancy Thompson is the character that she plays in Nightmare on Elm Street one and Nightmare on Elm Street three colon Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. And then obviously in New Nightmare, Heather Langenkamp plays Heather Langenkamp, who's brought back to play Nancy Thompson. So obviously she defeats Freddy as Nancy Thompson in the first movie. She faces Freddy in Dream Warriors and gets defeated and killed by Freddy. And then, as herself, as the fictionalised version of herself, who's drawn back to play Nancy Thompson, she defeats the ultimate evil that is the demon that is embodying Freddy 
in New Nightmare. So technically, her herself is a, a final girl and also the character of Nancy Thompson. But again, much like I went back and forth on this because I was like, I feel the same way that I feel about Nancy as I do about Kirsty Cotton. Like, she's one of those people who's like, she starts off kind of being afraid, but then she's like, she's like, no, like she stands up for herself. She holds herself very well. She's got balls. She's got ingenuity. And she's not afraid to fight like Fred, Frederick. Or um, Frederick of the Krugers. Yeah. So even even in Dream Warriors, when she like helps the Dream Warriors fight Freddy and it ultimately costs her her life. And then she comes back as herself in the third movie, in the third part of that, that trilogy. Um, yeah, she's fucking awesome. And like... She is, along with Laurie, she's kind of like the blueprint for like what a lot of these other characters follow. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, the reason why she's higher on the list than the other two is I think because of the way that she plays herself in the third movie and ultimately she actually ended that fucking franchise. Like mm. that franchise started with her and Freddy and that franchise ended with her and Freddy. Whereas, like, the Hellraiser series is kind of still going on in one way or another, and so is the Halloween franchise. Mm -hmm. There is a definitive opening and closing chapter with both of those actors slash characters. And I think, for me, it's kind of like the whole arc being brought together by both of them is really interesting. And she is literally the final, final girl, the nail in the coffin jobby. (laughs) So, yeah. Fair enough. And before anyone asks, yes, I know Freddy vs. Jason exists, and I know that there's a remake, but for the canonical like, original franchise, begins and ends with her before any fucking smart ass says anything. So, yeah, that's that's what I, what I put. Okay, my number two is uh, Grace Lodomus. Did you put her as number two? <laughs> no, I fucking, fucking didn't. It's tree. <laughs> of course it's tree, because tree rules. Tree is amazing. Um, yeah, so my number two is tree from Happy Death Day. And happy death day to you. Um, which is a weird one for a final girl, because technically she dies like fucking 50 times in these films. Mm. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, and if you haven't, why have you not seen it? Uh, it's basically like a slasher Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. It's the best way to explain mm-hmm. it. It is pretty much. That's the logline for the movie, pretty much. It is super fun. And Tree is an excellent character, because once she figures out she's reliving the same day, she just starts offing herself in fun and inventive ways um, <laughs> to try and figure out who's trying to kill her. She mm-hmm. just decides to start killing herself off. And there's some great deaths in this movie. There is some absolutely cracking deaths from mm-hmm. Tree. See, the thing is as well, she, she as a character goes on a journey. Like She starts off very selfish, very self-involved. She's having an affair with one of her teachers. Like she doesn't care about anything. She's like really aggressive. But then the more she goes into the time loop, the more she starts to reevaluate who she is as a human yeah. being. And the people she interacts with as well. Yeah. Because she starts even though she's living the same day over and over again, she starts so she helps uh, one of her ex one night stands come to terms with the fact that he's gay. And she does it a few times as well. Like she's like, You're gay, we know, it's fine. Yeah. And I just love that. And there's like the one where she, so she saves the guy who's falling over, the guy who falls asleep and he collapses. She like puts her jacket down to like she puts stop a him. pillow under him, didn't she? Yeah. And she warns kids to move out of the day way when the spring is about to come on. And like as she relives the day, she starts doing like 
little moments of kindness for people, mm-hmm. which I really like. I think it's a really nice like little alteration to her character as her seeing the same thing it over and over and over again makes her realise the little things she could be doing to make somebody's day easier. And she's just really fun. And it's the same in the, the second... The, so Happy Death Day is phenomenal. Happy Death Day to you is fun. And there is some really, really, really inventive deaths in that one. But it isn't as fun as the first one. Yeah, it's more sci-fi based. It's more about like the time loop itself. But it does have that amazing sequence with her mum. Yeah. Which is So it's, really it's nice. more about like parallel universes and time loops than the first mm-hmm. one where it's just about like a, a slasher time loop. Which is always going to be entertaining to me. Plus, I really like the Babyface Killer. I love the Babyface Killer. The Babyface Killer is great. Yeah. And also, because you, there's so many different suspects throughout the film as well, and watching her try to unravel her own death mm-hmm. is amazing. But yeah, so my number two is uh, Tree. Yeah. I put Tree on my list for very much the same reason. Like, I love Jessica Roth. I think Jessica Roth's performance is amazing in the film. I think... As you said, it's all the little moments as, like, as she lives the day more and more, she learns, like, more about herself and, like, the people that she's surrounding herself with. And, like, she grow like, really has quite strong character growth mm-hmm. in the movie. And that kind of goes over into the second one. Because there's a situation in the second one, kind of similar to a scene in About Time, where she has to make a choice between two people that she loves and it's like you think oh this is a wacky like pg-13 fucking horror movie that like there's some real heart yeah like the second one especially and like and the first one as well the relationship in the first one that blossoms is really heartfelt and that's the thing that like they do really well in the second one is they they get they get the character to a point where like you actually care about the choice that she makes and I think that's what makes her such a good character and so much fun to watch is watching her go on this journey of like self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And plus her ringtone is fucking like, hey, hey it's, it's my birthday. birthday. Not no, gonna no, pick, pick up, up the, the phone. phone. <laughs> Which you'll hear like a million oh, times. Oh, so many times. Do you know they had to invent that ringtone? Because originally, in it, the original trailer, be... it was 50 cents yeah. in the club. And then they couldn't get the rights to use it for the film. So they had to change it to the to the thing. But yeah, I love Happy Death Day. I love Tree. Tree's great. Uh, So my number two is... uh... It's your list, so you should know, really. Ellen Ripley. Obviously. Uh, So, yeah. Fucking Ripley. Uh, Ripley is amazing. Um, She is the prime example of everybody should listen to the smart woman, and they didn't, and now everyone's dead. Yeah. Um, I know you're not too keen on Alien, and I know you haven't seen any of the other Alien movies, but she's another one of those characters, like, over the years, she has become, like, a female empowerment icon, Mm -hmm. because she is somebody who is just as capable, if not more capable, than all of her male counterparts. She makes all of the right decisions, she knows exactly who she is, she knows exactly how to stand up for herself. She fights back. She puts herself in situations where she is in mortal danger, but she knows that by doing that, she's probably going to save more people. Like, she's quite fearless and quite self sacrificing. 
Um, and just watching her progression from Alien to Aliens to then Alien 3 and then obviously Alien Resurrection when she becomes a clone. She's one of those characters that I love because there is character development, but she never falters and she never changes who she is. Like, she always stays the same. Like, she never compromises. She never lets herself get pushed around. In all three of those movies, she's surrounded by male counterparts who are dripping in toxic masculinity, who think that they can tell her what to do and think that they know better and try to demean her every time. Yet all of those fuckers are the ones that get munched by the aliens and she is the one that always survives through a combination of like intelligence, tenacity and just fucking being amazing. Like the sequence in Aliens where she's in the fucking power loader and she fights a giant ass queen alien and tackles it to the ground is fucking amazing. Um, And she's the main reason why I'm in love with Sigourney Weaver. But I just think when you look at a character like that, and especially in like essentially what is a horror sci-fi franchise, it's so rare, especially male written ones, to have a character that is so fully formed and is so well-developed from the get-go. She feels like a lived-in character the minute you meet her. Mm. And then to see them not compromise, even though those four movies are all written and directed by completely different directors and writers, she retains complete control of that character throughout those four movies. And the arc that she goes on through those four movies, even to the point where she's a clone, is unbelievable and it's unmatched in in the in the realm of like final girls yeah she is the fucking one of the one of the standouts she is one of the like forebearers and somebody that like really kind of invented the term i would say because i mean alien came out what two years after halloween a year after halloween so you already had laurie strode but then like here's ellen ripley flamethrower and ginger cat in hand Fair enough. She's amazing. I love her. So my number one is is uh, every character Samara Weaving has ever played. <laughs> uh, no, it's the Samara the Samara Weaving verse. The Samara Weaving verse. To be fair, like I could have <sighs> probably put two or three, maybe mm, four, maybe of Samara Weaving's characters onto my list. There's no way she's been in four horror movies. This. Yeah. Mayhem. Yeah. Guns Akimbo. No, not a horror film you wouldn't count it. Nah. I mean, I still feel like I mean, technically, you could have gone Babysitter, Babysitter 2, but then yeah. she's the villain in both those movies, so she doesn't count. She is indeed. But I could have. I could have if I had wanted to. She's in more horror movies than that, isn't she? No. Are you sure? Yeah, because she did two billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri... She did Ash vs. the Evil Dead, which is a TV series, technically. She's in uh, Mayhem, Babysitter, Babysitter Killer Queen. She's in Ready or Not. She's in Guns Akimbo. She's in G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes. Uh, she's in per- Nine Perfect Strangers, which is a TV series. She was in another TV series fairly recently as well. She's not been in a huge amount of stuff. She was in Home and Away. Uh, last Moment of Clarity. fuck is that? It's about a guy who starts seeing his dead wife. Oh, fuck off. 
fucking nonsense. I haven't seen it. Coming in here with your bargain basement trash nonsense. I mean, Samara Weaving's in it, so at some point I'll probably watch it because I love her. Yeah. Um, but no, Grace Lodomus. Which I think anybody who's listened to this podcast long enough should have expected my number one to be Grace Lodomus because <laughs> any chance I get to put her on a list, she's on my list. I mean... She's a great character as well. She's a phenomenal character. I mean, she only made it at number five on my list just because I prefer the other four women above her. Um, and to be fair, like, Ready or Not's quite a new movie, so I was like, trying to balance out. Mm-hmm. Stop making excuses for disrespecting my woman. <laughs> um, oh, so Grace is... Again, anyone who's ever listened to the the podcast and listened to any of our previous episodes knows how much I love Ready or Not, even if we did do that really bad first episode on it, <laughs> which we need to redo at some point because that first episode is uh, not fab. <laughs> it makes me sad every time I think about it. I'm like, it was so terrible. We hadn't found our feet. Why did we pick it as our first movie? Um, so Grace is... There's not really a lot to say about Grace is Grace. She, she kind of starts the film out as very much the victim she is you know a poor she comes from a poorer background she's an orphan she never knew her family she's marrying into a very rich family the uh L- Lodomus fortune dynasty dynasty dominion or dominion whatever they call it um and she the gradual i think the greatest thing about this movie and her as a final girl is the gradual change in her character which is literally represented physically in the film by her wedding dress. Mm. And I love it. It's such a well-thought-out film and she's such a well-thought-out character that you... It's not until you hit the end of the film you kind of realise how many changes she has gone through. And it's not until you're watching it like the third or fourth time you start realising the correlation between her and how she's changing and the destruction of her wedding dress and how that slowly gets... Uh, shorter, more bloody, dirtier, ripped up. And she's just a great final girl. And she fights tooth and nail. She's, I think, potentially one of the fightiest final girls. Because she really, she claws her way out of this. And there's the great scene at the end, which I think is the best representation of kind of the character she becomes at the very end of the film, just as... She's basically realised she has won and she's surviving. And she has like a really animalistic howl. Yeah, she's like laugh feral, she does. She? And there's very few films I've watched with a final girl. I know apparently Descent, kind of the final girl, and that gets very similar. Like she becomes quite feral. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that. Is that a lot of films you watch it in the final girl? She gets to the end. She's still pretty. She's still mostly put together, um, having survived this horrific shit. Whereas Grace has become feral doing it. Mm-hmm. And she's filthy and ripped up and torn to shreds and she's coated in blood and dirt and she's got fucking parts of her missing. And yeah, she's just amazing. And I love her. I love the fact that she punches a child in this movie. She does punch a child in the face. And she shouts at an AI. <laughs> well, no, she, she, she shouts at a guy. Who just happens to be like the... He's like... Fuck you, Justin! Fuck you, Justin! It's the guy who she's talking to over the car, isn't it? There's some gnarly scenes in this movie as well. Like, I always forget whenever I rewatch this movie how gnarly it is. Yeah. In, like, the bit with the hand on the nail. And, like, when she's in the fucking goat burial room. And then, like, when she's, like, sneaking around the house. 
there's that fucking sequence as well where she gets out of the gate and she like rips, rips her side her back and, open, like, yeah. yeah yeah she rips it. it's through her chest isn't it she mm. like claws part of her chest open yeah the thing is is i think as well talking about final girls in the movies like i feel like grace is one of the more realistic final girls does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I know every like a lot of characters in horror movies are slightly out there. Hmm. But, like, I feel like Grace is a really well-put-together character in which, like, you can imagine her as a real person. And, like, that is how somebody would react to something like that. Yeah. Like, obviously, without, you know, the demonic bargains. But if you got married and your fucking in-laws tried to kill you, like, you'd fight teeth and fucking nail. Unless you're me, I'd just be like, just make it quick, dude. <laughs> I'm not fighting. I ain't a fighter. Um, but no, she's a really well, well, well thought out, really well put together, super realistic character. That's why I love her so much. Yeah, I think she's also quite an iconic character as well. I was like, everybody who's seen the poster knows the poster of her with like the shotgun in her hand with yes. the wedding dress on, and I think there's a lot of depth to her character. Like, I feel like in the wrong hands. That would have been a really easy character to make one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. The same as the whole family, it would have been easy to make the whole... Because it's such a... Like, no disrespect to Radio Silence. Like, I love those guys. But it's such a... On paper, it's such a flimsy premise. Like, in the hands of a lesser creative team, it could have been a really bad film. It could have just been a series of tropes. Because this is the thing with the movie as a whole. Is... There are characters in this that... There's quite, it's quite a... I would say it's a big cast, but it's a lot of central characters to get to know. Because mm-hmm. we've got Grace, Dickhead McDickhead, Hot Brother, Hot Sister, their partners, and then Mum and Dad, and mm-hmm. the two kids, and the maids. Whoa! You and left... Anna Helen. I was going to say, you left out the best character. Anna Helen's the greatest. Yeah, and Anna Helen. But, like, you get to know every single one of those characters, and they're all fleshed out to a point they feel like real people. Because you get these little nods throughout the film. Like, there's a conversation Grace has with um, Mrs. Lodomus. I can't think what her name is, who's played mm. by Andy McDowell. Um, where we find out she also came from a poorer family. And, like, you have the conversation she has with Daniel, where you find out he didn't marry Charity for love, he married her because he was lonely and you get all of these little character facts that I think in anybody else's hands they'd have just been like he's the drunk brother-in-law she's the bitchy sister-in-law like Mm. they'd have all been just tropes whereas Radio Sites do a really great job of not only fleshing out Grace but also fleshing out the entire character base of this movie so you feel some form of emotion towards every single character whether you like them or not Mm -hmm. And I think that's why Grace works as such a great final girl is because you do become emotionally involved in the lives of everybody in this family that you really are rooting for Grace to win. I also think she'll stand the test of time because I don't think she's going to be in sequels. So what you see is what you get. Like she's a character like that will never get worn down or... Uh... I would be interested, because they've said they want to make more, haven't they? Mm. I would be interested if they do franchise it and it does become like a series of obviously not the same cast because most of the cast are dead. The characters are dead, not the cast. Um, but like if Grace did pop up in later films... Yeah, I feel like if they don't know she she'll she'll stand the test of time because she's only got the one movie to her name yeah so she won't be like 
I can't, I can't think of what I'm trying to say, but she, she won't, won't become worn down and yeah, she won't out. become like devalued by like law of diminishing sequels. Yeah, but I, like I'd watch, I'd watch multiple Ready or Not movies, and I would be interested to see Grace come back. Maybe not as like a major player in a later movie, but like as a bit part mm. of like recognition of her character, which would be quite cool. Yeah, I can't see how they would make more movies, but I mean, I mean to be fair, they could a hundred percent make more set in the same universe maybe not another ready or not movie but more set in the same universe because you learn in the film that all of the people in this compound have all made deals with them um, mr labelle, mr. LaBelle. Mm. so they could very easily make more set in the same universe just with a different twist to each one mm-hmm. i'd watch the shit out of it i love radio silence i think they're really good Scream 5, baby! Looking forward to that. Right, babe, what's your number one? Because I've just natted on about Grace and I'll keep going. Uh, before we get to my number one, I would just like to say I'm going to dedicate my number one spot to Phil and Laura from The Horror Project because I know that this is one of their fa- like this character is from one of their favourite movies and Laura specifically had some very interesting things to say about this specific character recently when we spoke to her. So this one is dedicated to you. My number one is Sydney Prescott, as played by Neve Campbell from the Scream series. I don't even know why I was wondering what your number one would have been. That is the most obvious number one. I should have known <laughs> instantaneously. Um, yeah, it's Sydney. It's Sydney, bitch. Four, I want to say five movies and she survived them all, but I don't know if she's going to survive the new one. The thing, so the thing that we were saying about all of these characters, the reason why Sydney's my number one is because so far there have been four screen movies. She's been the main character in all of them. And I think it's just the character journey that she takes throughout the four movies. Like, for anyone that's seen the screen movies, you know that all of the ghost face killers that have targeted her have been related to her or part of her life in some way. And I think it's the way that they she goes from the first movie as, like, basically a teenager who finds out that her mum was raped and killed, like, and is living with the trauma of that to then find out, obviously, that her boyfriend did it and has, like, been killing all of her friends. And then, like, you see her go to college and living with the trauma of what happened. I was about to say, that's one of the best things about Sydney's character is that they deal with the trauma. To a degree, they do deal with the trauma of what happened to her. And then, like, in the third movie, she goes off the grid and she becomes a, like, rape crisis counsellor. Mm-hmm. And then in the fourth movie, she's someone who's, like, written a book and is trying to return to the place where she came from. And she has this full arc. Like, you see her go from being a teenager to, like, a woman through this full arc. And, like, as you said, the trauma follows her and it informs the decisions that she makes in the films. And I think that to me, is very important because in a lot of franchised sequels where you have returning characters, they they don't... It's almost like they don't follow that trauma on. Like, case in point, in Halloween, the trauma has followed Laurie along, so that is something that has happened. But with a lot of these sequels where you have returning characters, they don't address that. They're just like, oh, that was the other movie. Like, I'm a completely different person now. Like, they don't ever really address what those characters went through. And I think it's a real credit to Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven and I guess Aaron Kruger, who wrote three and four, um, that they were able to give Sydney a full arc. Mm. And she is this full character. And I'd be very interested to see what point in her life she's at in Scream 5 
and how she's like how far removed it is from Scream Four to Scream Five and kind of what she's doing now with her life and how she's come to terms with what happened to her what happened to her, what happened to her friends and, and those kind of things. And to me, she's like, um, our friend Laura was like, Oh, she's so whingy, she's so whiny and I was like, But Sid's also a fighter. Like she fights every ghost face. She gets she down and like she's she gets down and dirty. She gets the shit beat out of her in all of these movies and she still survives. Like she is the quintessential like goes through the emotional ringer, the physical ringer, like she gets everything thrown at her, yet she still survives, she still remains. And I think for someone to go through the things that she goes through in those movies and to still be like a survivor at the end of it, I think is a really it's a really good representation of how people who have been assaulted or have been victims kind of process that trauma but still need to try and live a semi-normal life while looking over their shoulder because they're worried that something is always going to happen. Yeah. And I do think that it deals with what she went through in a really good way or as sensitively as possible in certain aspects of it. And I just think that she's a great character. I mean, it helps that she's played by Neve Campbell, who is absolutely amazing like she's a fucking amazing actress and i love her to pieces yeah but i do think as well kind of like it's the writing and the performances and it's just the little subtle things that she does like the changes to her outfit or her hair or the way that she conducts herself in the movies i think there's these little subtle changes that neve campbell puts in or nev campbell however you say her name um in each each iteration of the character, I think there's something different that keeps you coming back to that character. But every time she returns, you know that it's her. Like when we watch that trailer for the new Scream, the first time you see her and she answers the phone and Dewey's like, it's happening again. There's been three attacks. Do you have a gun? And she's like, I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course, of course I have, I have a, gun. a gun. And I was like, that's Sydney. Like that's, that's who Sydney is. Like she has become, through necessity, a survivalist. And I love that. And I love the fact that she, even in this one, like she's not being specifically targeted, but she's there. She's ready to help. She's ready to fight. Like, yeah. And I love that because in certain movies, like people like that, that are like have been, would have been attacked so many times would just be like, I'm done. Like I can't take it anymore. And it would have been so easy for them to write her as like an alcoholic or somebody who like, is agoraphobic or can't leave the house because it, that's what tends to happen in films. They tend to be like, as we said with Laurie in Halloween H2O, they write her as this kind of agoraphobic alcoholic because... In it's scre- an easy move to it's, make. Yeah, it's an easy thing to show that that character is going through trauma. And I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not diminishing anything because I know that everybody deals in real life in trauma in different ways. And I'm not saying that one way is right and one way is wrong. But when it comes to screenwriting... They always go for the basest things to try and get that point across. And I love the fact that they went for more of a, these experiences have made her tougher. These experiences have made her into the, like she's almost weaponized herself in a, in a sense. She's weaponized all of this grief and trauma and she knows that at any minute something could happen to her again and she has to be prepared. And I really, I really like that. Yeah. And it's a sense of a strong character and a strong writing. And I think, you know, as we discussed on our Scream episode, Scream is one of my all-time favourite movies. And I think that 
she, above all else, she again does make some dumb decisions. She slates the killer for talking about horror movies where girls are running up the stairs and then in the very next scene runs up the fucking stairs. But for the most part... But I think that's kind of the point, yeah. isn't it? It's, like, it's easy to say that until you're in that situation. Yeah. But I think for the most part, she's a very intelligent, very well-written, strong character. And yeah, she's, she's my number one. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's our lists. Um, come and let us know whether you agree with us, disagree with us, who your favourite final girls are. Um, let us know in the comments. Obviously, like and like and subscribe. All that shit. All yeah. the good shit. Find us on social media, S-I-M-A-H-F pod on Twitter. So I'm married a horror fan on Tumblr and Instagram. Um, there's a link in our bio across all social media to where you can find the podcast. It's in most places where you can find podcasts. As I say, we hope you have a really enjoyable Halloween season. We will be back on Monday with our first episode for November, which is... Uh, look at Tim Burton's 1999 gothic horror film Sleepy Hollow and until then we will see you soon take care bye 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 my chest